Muddy News Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show. Today, English teams, Champions League clean sweep. Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City all win without conceding, while marvellous Marcus makes sure Leipzig lead Manchester well fed up after the kind of mismatch not usually seen outside Nagelsmann's wardrobe. We round up all the big scores from Old Trafford to Turin. Check out the big stories to come this weekend. Ask why everyone wants to buy Burnley but not their matches. And get the post Bartomeu word in Barcelona. All of that and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Off we go with another Totally Football Show. Feels like it's going to be a big one today. Sizzling with important comment. And uh, hot takes from the midweek action and more. Thursday, the 29th of October, for those who are keeping up, we've got Adrian Clark with us. Hello, Adrian. Hello, James. Yeah, good to be back. Nice. Lovely to have you. Duncan Alexander's along as well. Hello, James. Hello, everyone. Hello, Duncan. And also joining us, Carl Anker. Ahoy, hoy. Hello. <laughs> Indeed, Carl. Uh, what a propitious uh, person to have on board today. Everybody enjoy the midweek action. Duncan, I know you did. Wickham got their first ever point yes. in the championship. We did, yeah, against Watford. Um, and outplayed Watford. Like, they should have won. And Ben Foster was man of the match. So, um, yeah, things were on the up. Wow. You're now second last in the championship. Well, to be fair, we were already second last. Already second last in the championship. Many minus points. But I think, you know, we're only 12 points off the playoffs. So I think that's the next aim. Brilliant. All right. Other people might have been following the Champions League headlines from which included all four English sides winning and going atop of their groups. 14 goals scored by the Premier League teams, none conceded. Champions League holders Bayern Munich won 2-1 at Locomotive Moscow, making it now 13 straight Champions League victories for the Bavarians. Barcelona, who'd lost a Clasico on Saturday and a board and a president on Tuesday, won on Wednesday in Turin 2-0 against Juventus. On a very unfortunate night for Juve's Alvaro Morata. More on that later. More as well on Real Madrid, who after last week's shock by Shakhtar were seconds away from losing their second straight group game at Gladbach. They still lie bottom of their group. Well, fascinating clip, by the way, uh, from the half-time of that, which uh, emerged afterwards of uh, Karim Benzema telling his teammate, fellow Mendy, not to pass to their teammate Vinicius. On my mother's life, don't pass to him. He's playing against us, says Benzema, in footage caught by the, uh, the the tunnel cameras. Not the first time that Benzema's been involved in an awkward bit of video footage. You'll recall that unfortunate affair with uh, Mathieu Valbuena and the sex tape blackmail. But, but, but this went pretty viral and you'd think would lead to some pretty awkward scenes the next day at Real Madrid's training ground. Or, or not, Adrian, is this kind of thing common? <laughs> well, you don't tend to find out about it. I, th- I do. I do feel it's common. I, I suspect. <laughs> I suspect that some teammates have maybe urged others not to pass to me back in the day because I was against them. You know, stuck out there on the wing, screaming for the ball and, and getting one touch every twenty minutes. But but yeah, let's let's not go down that minefield. But no, it's probably not that uncommon. But you just don't want to hear about it, do you? And. Yeah, if I was um, if I was the player that was being spoken about, mm. I would definitely be having a word there uh, because it's a slight on his character, isn't it? It's a slight on his reputation, and and that could be awkward. But but for me, Benzema doesn't strike me as the the kind of character that would be at all bothered about no, upsetting he, a teammate. He posted on Instagram afterwards with a kind of message saying blah blah blah. I'm just going to keep doing my thing, and certainly post that tunnel footage, you can see. Uh, Mendy, Benzema and Vinicius discussing life as the second half awaits uh, to be kicked off. So, yeah, I don't think Benzema's unduly, as I say, troubled by the whole thing. But also, people in every job do this about colleagues. It's just, footballers aren't any different. It's just obviously it makes a bigger splash. Than... What do you mean, Duncan? Before I came on this line... <laughs> mm. Well, luckily, I'd stopped my tirade uh, before you came on. But, um, yeah, you know... Well, I suppose that's true. They're just like ordinary folk, only with cameras pointed at them. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm. All right. Well, with a nice little bit of perspective there from Duncan, let's get on to the biggest story, the biggest win of the round, and that belonged to Man United, who continued their excellent form at Old Trafford that had seen them, checks notes, beaten by Palace, taken apart there by Spurs, and last weekend boring the pants off all and sundry against Chelsea by handing Bundesliga leaders RB Leipzig their bottoms in a 5-0 defeat. What sorcery is this? We'll find out next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. No, but seriously, Adrian, every time I give Duncan a stat, he just comes... <laughs> and we're back on. Uh, who's got a better record than Bayern Munich in Europe this season? Man United have. Two wins against two of last year's semi-finalists. Seven goals scored, only Martial's own goal conceded. What has happened? Karl Anker! What's happened is Oli's shown himself to be quite tactically nuanced. I'm, I was genuinely surprised 20 minutes into the game against Paris Saint-Germain and uh, ahead of RB Leipzig, uh, the team sheets came out and Manchester United looked to be in a diamond formation, which uh, provoked some titter from Manchester United fans, mm. considering I had written in two or three articles why I would advise against the use of a midfield diamond for Manchester United. Midfield diamonds, by now, they've become almost a kind of a dirty word. Why is that? Yeah, so they are they, they have quite a, a positive reputation in, in video game football, shall we say. So that you can see them quite often in FIFA and Football Manager and whatnot. Uh, and very often they do get suggested by people that are fans of this game in, in real life. So sort of, hey, we've got loads of midfielders. They seem to be quite talented. Why don't we try a midfield diamond? To which... I, I feel a bit like a grouch advising that Manchester United don't quite have the most mobile uh, defensive midfielders or don't quite have the fullbacks to provide the necessary width to make a midfield diamond work. So that was my reluctance towards it. Um, the reason it worked so well against RB Leipzig was, one, I dramatically underestimated how good Fred would be in terms of tackling. He was, uh, while all of the headlines should rightly go to Dr. Marcus Rashford, MBE, uh, Fred was fantastic uh, against RB Leipzig. Really, really good. Um, both press resistant when he had the ball and, and very good at setting up a press in, in regards to defensive midfield. Nemanja Matic was quite good up until around, I'd say, the hour mark where he was quite rightly substituted. So there was good mobility in the defensive areas. Paul Pogba uh, working on the left-hand side, slightly mm. more forward, was really good holding onto the ball and had... His, Pogba's very good at progressing the ball vertically. He's got a fantastic passing range, which is fantastic. Um, Donny van der Beek was really, really good, not only getting beyond the two strikers, but also he has a real um, adventure in his pass. So unlike quite a few Manchester United players, such as Fred, um, Donny van der Beek is okay making those tricky passes and making passes that perhaps while he's being pressured, he can still thread the needle. So that worked as well. Um, Juan Basaka, again, even though he might be a bit 1996, is fantastic in his one-on-ones. And Luke Shaw had a good game as well. So, all right. that works. Well, to put this in perspective, this was against the Leipzig side that, admittedly with Timo Werner in their ranks, schooled Spurs in the last 16 mm-hmm. earlier this year that was unbeaten so far this season, that was managed by a gentleman generally regarded as one of the brightest tactical prospects in Europe, who some people pre this game were touting as a potential upgrade for Old Trafford. Adrian, you were watching this game as well. What was was your take? Well, I I really liked the formation. I I liked Manchester United's pace and aggression. They certainly upped it several notches from the the snooze fest against Chelsea, didn't they? Blimey, it was as if they were playing on times two speed at times when when they burst forward. At least the reason I I kind of like this system, even though I, I I definitely accept Carl's view on it initially, is that the absence obviously Cavani changes it slightly, but in the absence of a of a natural number nine, having split strikers so to speak, two guys up front that can work the channels, I think works really well for Rashford, for Martial, for for Greenwood, and it could work for Cavani as well. It gets. It gets Pogba into the team in the right position to the left of a three. It it, it gets Bruno Fernandes or Donny van der Beek in those positions. And it obviously creates competition. So one of those guys will be on the bench willing to come on. You've got a couple of strikers that can come off the bench to supplement the, the front two. Uh, whereas if you go with the three forwards, it felt last season as if 
if that wasn't working, what, what else was there for Manchester United? The other reason tactically I think it works is that, that Luke Shaw and Aaron Wambasaka have both proven in recent times that they can be that third centre-half if needed, which gives licence to one of the fullbacks to push forward down the side of the ball and the other one just to slide across and, and to turn it into a back three of sorts if necessary. So, so yeah, I, I saw loads of positives and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just rotten timing, I think, for, for Arsenal ahead of the weekend game that right. United have boosted their confidence like this. Well, indeed. Hoff Beadle says, how many other managers are able to win the most points in the last 14 league games of the season? which Oli did, tactically outsmart the likes of Pep, Tuchel and Nagelsmann with different setups and excellent substitutions and still be judged by the first three games of 2021 after no pre-season. Hofbeadler's point that we jumped in a little bit early on Oli. But beyond that, is he? were we all wrong or is he evolving, sort of Oli-evolving? Is, is that what's think, happening here? I think he deserves a lot of credit for... So I talked to him after the weird victory over Brighton and he said Manchester United were three to four weeks off match fitness and they'd get better in a month. We are more or less a month after that and they are close to match fitness and better. You can see players like Fred and Paul Pogba are able to run more and run further and newer players are being integrated in. So that's right on schedule. Um, He's genuinely surprised me with how many different tactical systems he's able to employ. Now he has more options. But I think one of the more common and consistent complaints against Oli is he's got a Manchester United side with loads of talented players and they're very, very good in the attacking transition. But there is some sort of question as what is the plan B? Um, he's now beginning to show there there is difference in the plan B and that is you know a different shape. This 4-4-2 diamond. Uh, he experimented a little bit with a 4-2-2-2. Um, and I, I think what we're, we're getting to this point of rather than saying Oli needs a plan B, Oli's now going, no, look, the plan B is fantastic. Let me just keep doing that over and over and over again with the within these different shapes. Those goals against RB Leipzig were fantastic. They are, again, scored on the attacking transition. But rather than using this as a stick to beat him with, perhaps we should uplift a manager who is doing a lot better. I thought he was tactically astute in a lot of the big games last year. He changed the formations to, to nullify Man City a couple of times. He didn't get everything right. But I think he's... He's, he's always had this in his in his armory. The last time I came on this show, James, I said that it, uh, it was after the 6-1 uh, humbling by Spurs. And I said that the standards had slipped at Manchester mm. United on and off the pitch. And I, I definitely mm. feel that was the case with Maguire, with Pogba, and, and the attitudes weren't right. I do feel, and let's give Oli credit here, that that was like a line in the sand. And it feels as if something's happened behind the scenes whereby they've regrouped on, on the back of that, which well, I guess is kind of natural. Let's see what happens this weekend against against Arsenal. Of course, Duncan, you can hold your tongue no longer. <laughs> yeah, I think well, I don't want to be the man who's slightly negative, but I think all these games that that United are doing well in are are the big games. And you know, you wonder if Leipzig had taken the lead last night, would they? And then sat back, would they have been able to break them down as effectively? Um, but that said, when you've got Rashford, when you've got Greenwood, when you've got Cavani. I mean, the thing with the Champions League this season is you can bring on five subs, and you look at the five players that United brought on last night. Um, they brought on McTominay, they brought on uh, Rashford, Fernandez, uh, Twanzebi, and Cavani. I mean, that's really, really impressive from the bench, mm. and I think that is the big difference now. You know, last season it it was like eleven good players, and then that was it. And we saw how knackered Bruno Fernandez got by the by the end of the season. Whereas I think now they're able to rest. Essentially, Fernandez uh, last night, and he, you know he should be super fresh for uh, the game on Sunday. Which is why Man United don't need a director of football. What, what heartening news for all their supporters! One of the players, of course, uh, who came on in the game Wednesday night, really making an impression. Uh, not for the first time in recent weeks. Marcus Rashford, MBE, a hat-trick off the bench. You've probably seen that he's the first United player to do that since his manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did it all the way back in 1999 against Nottingham Forest. I don't think there's anyone uh, people would have loved to have seen score a hat-trick more on, on Wednesday night, and it was a fantastic performance. Oh, truly. One of the better Champions League cameo performances in, in recent times. Um, the second goal was a little bit farcical, uh, but the third goal was hit with such comprehensive venom <laughs> that was especially pleasing. I did also like um, Rashford giving Martial the penalty as well, so he's feeding his uh, strikers. 
as well <laughs> as just the general populace. Um, I think the really interesting about Rashford was he, he sort of he he did come onto the scene and almighty flourish with those goals in Europa League and and those goals against Arsenal in, in 2016. He hasn't scored against Arsenal since then, which mm. I think is quite interesting. Um, and you bear in mind, two years ago, people were saying Rashford might have to go out on loan in order to, to fulfil his potential. And people were saying, eh, maybe he's not as good as what we thought he'd be. Whereas, I'd say, definitely last season, he made the jump. He, he He's on the line, if you want to talk about stats and actually, he's on the line actually sort of went, oh, this gentleman is progressing at a rate that um, world class, put that in air quotes, is definitely within his capabilities. Um, and, and you're seeing that now. You're seeing a player who is getting better and better, is playing under a manager that trusts him and is now also working with a team that works to his strengths. Uh, so there were times on the previous managers and in previous seasons where Rashford's slight weakness playing back to goal as a lone striker um, held him back. Whereas now when, when you give him space to run into and you give him just less time to think about getting those finishes off, you can see what happens. He, he hits the ball with such authority that as long as it's on target, it's going to more likely than not be a goal. I know mm. that's not how stats work, but it looks like that right now, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, essentially, it feels like every time someone miserable says stick to football, Marcus Rashford gets better at football. So, uh, <laughs> sadly, the, the sky's the limit because people will keep saying that, I, th- I fear. Mm. But he's just, honestly, he's fast-tracked to be the greatest man this country's ever produced, I think. You know, you, most people wake up these days and you kind of go, oh, it's another raining day in October in 2020. But then you remember Marcus Rashford and it actually genuinely makes your day better. So I did enjoy how more or less half an hour after all media duties were finished he just, just yeah. tweeted what's, what's virtue signaling and then continued <laughs> to talk about his you know ending child food poverty we should highlight the charities that Marcus Rashford is in support of so uh, a lot of his end child food poverty work is done via Fairshare so uh, fairshare.co.uk slash donate to donate money directly to that charity um, he very much would like you to continue signing the petition for the government you can find that on his social media channels uh, one of the largest charities involved in food banks in the United Kingdom is the Trussell Trust. Uh, I've set up a monthly retainer to them as well. So I would recommend um, donating whatever you can afford per month to them. That's the Trussell Trust. Russell with the T on the front. Trussell. Yes. Trussell Trust. Okay. Yeah, most players his age spend their spare time playing computer games, don't they? Really. And, and, and it's, just, it's just remarkable. Just, just Not a great just players, p- Adrian, as well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, he's just you forget how young he is to to be as mature as he is, to be as as level headed, so so sort of rounded of personality. I mean, he's, he's been his upbringing's obviously been fantastic, and yeah, like, look, I think we all we all wish him uh, continued success. I'm I'm with Carl. I think he's fast approaching, world class, and and look to score the hat trick he did in that game. I think was an indication of his capabilities. Leipzig are not a pub team. Leipzig are, are, are a very strong Bundesliga outfit, semi-finalists in the Champions League last year, and he made them look like they were non-league. They only let in 12 goals last season in the Champions League. Um, so last night was definitely uh, you know, uh, a fair proportion of that. I think Nagelsmann will put that coat into retirement. <laughs> so elsewhere in that group on Wednesday, Paris Saint-Germain with 2-0 winners at Basak Shahir, the Turkish Champions of course. Uh, colloquially known as FC Erdogan for their uh, close associations with Turkey's president, but who didn't prove as effective in stopping their opposition. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain getting a brace from Moise Kane. That's now four goals he scored in their last two games, Paris Saint-Germain. And just as well that he stepped up because Mbappe had another off night. He's still without any Champions League goals, Mbappe, since December of last year. Neymar taken off after 26 minutes with a groin strain. That leaves Paris Saint-Germain level with Leipzig, three points behind Man United, who topped the group, with back-to-back games coming up against pointless and goalless Turkish champions Basak Shahir. That's next, but not quite as next as the weekend's Premier League game against Arsenal, which we'll be talking about after this. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. Get a completely free £5 bet on Liverpool v West Ham this Saturday. Claim yours now. Paddy Power. 
Online exclusive new customers must deposit one bet per customer. Opt-in required. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. The Totally Football Shows and The Athletic are delighted to be supporting Football Aid for the months of October and November. Bid now at footballaid.com to get your hands on some incredible football memorabilia, including signed shirts from Steven Gerrard, Gianluca Vialli, Gareth Bale and even Peter Crouch's boots. Find out more, get bidding and support the cause at footballaid.com. Man United Arsenal is 4.30 on Sunday. Adrian, how are Arsenal? <laughs> flat. Flat as a pancake, really. I mean, it was a pretty demoralising defeat against Leicester City. I, I do feel that they were unlucky in that first half. I mean, they battered Leicester, uh, missed an open goal, shouldn't have had the goal disallowed that they did have. So so, so there are extenuating circumstances, but the final half an hour was was really miserable. And, and there's, there's a big problem now for Arteta, who's clearly improved the team structurally um, with and without the ball. But there, there is a missing ingredient and that is expressiveness and freedom. We're not seeing any real spontaneity from Arsenal inside the final third and that is making them pretty easy to defend against. We saw that at the latter stage of the Leicester game and, and in a lot of the matches so far this season, there's a big clamour to put Aubameyang up top and I, I, I'm on that ship now. I have to say, let's try something different. Let's give him, let's get Aubameyang, clearly the team's best finisher, into the right areas as often as you can. I've got some stats for you. Touches in the opposition box this season. Salah, who's played one game less, 66. Mm. Grealish, 46. Mane, 44. Aubameyang, 16. Shots. Mm. Salah, 29. Kane, 29. Mitrovic, who plays for Fulham, 26. Right. Aubameyang, eight. What the, about XG? <laughs> well, XG is 0.43, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it's 0.43, which is the same as Gareth Bale managed in his cameo against West Ham. <laughs> yeah. So. so, look, these stats tell you that he's he's not being utilised in the right way. He's too, he's too much on the periphery of games. And I think the only real answer is to just throw, throw a little bit of the structure out and to give him a shot up front and, and to give Manchester United something different to think about this weekend. That, that's how I'd go anyway. But I think it's a process, isn't it? Arteta isn't doing this randomly. I think he's, got a, he's, he's doing something that he's planned. Mm. And you can see it in the numbers. I mean, Arsenal's PPDA, which is passives per defensive action. So Sorry? The high... <laughs> I knew you'd like those things. PPDA, one of the best acronyms. So basically it means how many passes the opposition have per defensive action you do to them. So okay. basically the lower the number, the higher, the more you're pressing. Right. right. More yeah. aggressive the presses. Exactly, yeah. So so at the top of that this season are Leeds, which isn't a surprise. Uh, and at the bottom are West Brom. Uh, Newcastle are always down there. But Arsenal are fourth bottom. So they are, oh. they are not really pressing. They're not being aggressive on the front foot. They're being very defensive. They're... They've been very reactive. Um, now, Arteta will know this. It's, I think it's part of the process. Now, you know, he's going to fix that and then move on to the, to the attack. But it's how long the fans give him before they mm. start to lose kind of faith, really. Um, sounds like Adrian's lost faith. So. Well, no, I haven't lost faith. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Arteta. I just, I, and I agree with you. It is part of the process. But, but I also think that there are glaring weaknesses to this team that... That, that can be basically what I'm asking him to do is maybe simplify the messages. I've I've played for coaches that give you loads of information, and I, and I personally didn't like it because it made me second guess myself or think twice about what I was going to do when I had the ball, and it would probably make me take an extra two or three touches because you just lose a bit of the spontaneity and 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 freedom, and and that I think is what's what's missing from the team. It's the structure is what the team needed. They needed that discipline. They needed better instructions. But he's not quite getting the balance right. I, f- I feel that the next stage of the development needs to be, that's great, but when we get inside the final third, just cut loose. Do right. do some crazy things. Just move around more. Because what they're doing is is almost football by numbers. Mm. And it, it, it's making them, them, them quite easy to defend against at the moment. But it will improve, I'm confident. Sounds as if they could do with an attacking midfielder who's possibly won a World Cup before. Hmm. Well, <laughs> uh, it's not about one player, Carl. Honestly, it's, I think it's about unless that player's Obama, Yang. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I, I've I've said it quietly, but there are 
interesting parallels to be made from Mikel Arteta and Rafa Benitez in terms of how they have a very pronounced tactical style that tries to get a little out of a lot and tries to find solutions to, to very complex problems uh, and tries to get players to download a lot of information and also may not have the best results for the slightly more maverick attacking players. Mm. I think Who was Rafa's Urza then? Can we say John Joe Shelby? Um, <laughs> I, I think I think Arteta will be a success for Arsenal, and I very much want to see what that success will look like. I very much think this success will take years rather than months. Not, not ready for this weekend then, and a fixture that Arsenal haven't actually won away in the league at Old Trafford in over 14 years along the way. They've had some pretty... Horrendous results, that 8-2, of course. But interestingly, Arsenal haven't actually lost this game since Arsene Wenger departed uh, their bench. So that that's... I don't know. How do you how do you envisage one? Carl, are you kind of half anticipating the usual one step forward, two steps back from United at the weekend? A little bit. I'm, I'm going to be reluctant to pass any real judgment until I see a team line-up. I'd imagine Oli will revert to Bruno Fernandes as his crown jewel playmaker. Are we going to see Van der Beek looking forlorn on the sidelines again? Maybe. Having just moved to Manchester, I think that's just a face you pull when you move to Manchester and you're getting used to the weather. Um, I, I did write a piece for The Athletic recently where I compared Donny to sort of the winter coat you buy in the summer sale and you're just waiting for it to get cold enough and the <laughs> weather to get bad enough and then you go, it's time for the big coat. Right. <laughs> Arsenal, of course, are involved in Thursday night action in the Europa League, but they will be at home to Ireland's Dundalk. Uh, that game possibly already played by the time you hear this uh, listener. Duncan? Yeah, I think if we want to give one bit of hope to, to Arsenal fans, I think United, um, we've got a kind of playing styles model which looks at various elements of how teams build up. And United have been have let a lot of chances come from counter-attacks this season but haven't really been punished. And the one thing Arsenal can do, and one thing Aubameyang has been good at under Arteta, is that kind of move where it goes down the right and then is switched to the left and they, and they bring in Aubameyang. So particularly if United are attacking at home at Old Trafford, I think that is... You know, that is an option for Arsenal. So there's a little bit of hope there. Mm, that sounds ominous. That game coming up at 4.30 uh, this Sunday. After this, we'll touch on more of the weekend's action and one or two more of the midweek delights. This is football like never before. This is Sportsbroker, the new real money gaming app. At Sportsbroker, buy and sell virtual shares in the world's biggest teams and be at the heart of the football action. Buy teams low, sell them high and own the game with Sportsbroker. Join now at sportsbroker.com or download on the App Store and Google Play. Sportsbroker, own the game. Always play responsibly, over 18s only. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Wednesday night, a wild game in Turin. It was the eagerly awaited Juventus-Barcelona showdown. It wasn't a Messi-Ronaldo affair. CR7's positive test for COVID-19 kept him out of it. But there sure was plenty of Messi in this one. He set up Dembele's opener. He scored the second from the penalty spot and generally uh, ran things in a pretty chaotic game, actually. Him and Griezmann working well together, which is a comforting sight for Barcelona supporters. Uh, Juve, a major inquest for Pirlo post-game. Uh, he was uh, confronted by Fabio Capello in the big uh, Italian TV analysis show. And Capello basically just tore a strip off him tactically and Pirlo just kind of stood there and, and took it. Um, but they had their chances, Juve, in a, in a massively stretched game. Alvaro Morata in particular, more like Alvarno Morata, <laughs> with his hat-trick of, of disallowed goals. Uh, Duncan, we've had questions. Uh, Don here, for example, saying after Morata's amazing hat-trick of no goals, do you have stats on the most goals cancelled out in a game? And should a cancelled hat-trick now be a Morata to commemorate his efforts? Uh, well, sadly, no, because disallowed goals is a, is a thing that isn't really recorded. They just right. disappear into the ether. But I, A, I think uh, it should be called a Morata. And also, someone pointed me on Twitter, if you do do that, should you, instead of getting the match ball, should you be able to take home the linesman's flag? Uh, after the game, <laughs> which I think is a great chat. Or one of those VAR laptops. Yeah. Perhaps. I mean, that would be useful generally, wouldn't it? Does anybody know, by the way, in the Premier League, we have Stockley Park. Where does the Champions League uh, VAR hub operate from? Park do Stockley. 
<laughs> very, very possibly. I mean, I imagine there must be an equivalent somewhere. Anyway, Duncan, you, you watched this game, I, I think. What, what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it was, a, as you say, an odd game. It was kind of like two versions of these clubs that won't stand up the test of time, really. I mean, Barca had like three shots in the first couple of minutes, um, but both teams couldn't really defend. Um, you know, Morata, yeah, he was offside for all three, but, you know, he kept getting in and getting those chances. Although Juve technically didn't have a shot on target uh, for the first time in recorded Champions League history at home, which is wow. which is pretty bad. Um but yeah, I mean, it's a big win for Barcelona because it kind of sets them up for the, the rest of the group, really. And mm. uh, I mean, that was interesting what you said about Capello because, you know, Pirlo's under quite a lot of pressure, I, th- I would think. Well, now. poor chap. This was only his sixth game ever as a manager. Uh, he took over. He was, he'd come fresh from the kind of tactical college and was going to take over their under-23 side and was handed the keys to the first team instead and a first team with one or two issues in it hence the departure of the previous manager and then with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo uh, pulling full fate for this one that's still ludicrous <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous when you really think about it. it it is absurd I remember the announcement of Perlo they said maybe he can be like Sir Dan or Pep Guardiola so that's mm. one complete tactical aberration he's regarded as one of the greatest managers of all time and the Real Madrid manager, who has won loads of Champions League, sometimes through luck and sometimes through goodness, and it's only just now being regarded as tactically astute. Right? Mm. I, I have no idea what Juventus is trying to do. It's like they don't do improv. No one's. He's there got to go, the DNA though, Carl. You've forgotten to. Factor well, DNA is ruining in. football. Isn't it? Like all these massive clubs have just been managed by people who who get the club, who who've got the DNA. It's like they don't, this doesn't mean anything. <laughs> the thing I find absurd so. about Juventus is no one's there to go. And then what? Like went from the from the revamped team badge to their managerial what are you approach. Saying? To no, what Carl, doing. you you may you may not like the team badge, but it's been a massive success. Oh it's yeah, not, of course. I've got one. It's a very left field decision. I I mean I was tremendously excited when he took the job. I kind of harboured a secret wish that as much as he'd been a genius on the field that he would be able to just magically magically kind of sever snape it up on the sideline and Juve would fall into into place but to be fair it's only his sixth game in charge and they're in real tr- I mean they've got problems that need resolving and he deserves as much time as any Ollie or any of these people uh, do it is a left field decision but I, I really enjoy it what they're doing but there's also that thing that Pirlo had a very good end of his career post-retirement when there were a lot of photos of him sat looking moodily at vineyards and stuff it's, it's, you know I think you can build up a reputation based on, you know, filtered Instagram photos, but that doesn't necessarily translate to results on the pitch. It's the modern game, Duncan. It's all about vibes. <laughs> we'll hear more uh, about uh, the Catalans and their eventful week. As we mentioned, uh, Joseph Bartomeu resigning as their president on Tuesday, along with the entire board, and in his goodbye, dropping that bombshell that he's accepted proposals for the club to join a European Super League. So far, I think a deafening silence from all other potential teams. So that's going to be a, a short season by the sound of it. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk more about that with Alvaro Romeo later on. Meantime, what about Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool, who also got victories midweek, uh, early Wednesday, in fact. Chelsea, who'd had games where they scored lots of goals but couldn't defend and games where they defended but couldn't score any goals. This time they got both ends working, a third straight clean sheet and four goals scored away in southern Russia against uh, tournament new boys Krasnodar. Saturday, Chelsea will take their newfound uh, total footballness to Turf Moor. That's three o'clock Saturday afternoon on PP Evil. Uh, tough place to visit, Turf Moor, isn't it, Duncan? No. What? It's the, it, yeah, big six teams go to Turf Moor. Look at Tottenham the other night. They just, you know, they weather the storm. Brackets, quite a big storm weather-wise. And then they uh, tend to win. Burnley have, in fact, lost their last three. Premier League home games in a row. On the subject of Chelsea's defending, Arnavos, uh, can Oily Sailor hit us with the stats on Chelsea's impenetrable defence and what are Mendy's numbers looking like so far? So this is where it gets a bit strange and you have to sort of in- indulge in witchcraft a little bit because um, Mendy's played five games. He's let in one goal, which was in the in the League Cup against Spurs. Um, in those games, Chelsea's defence has given up an XG of about 2.6. So that's about 0.5 a game. Um, in the other five games, which a mixture of mainly Kepa, a bit of Caballero, no Petr Cech yet, um, they've 
let in an XG of 6.52, which works out about 1.3 a game. So, so the defence has given up basically three times as good chances when uh, Mendy isn't playing. Now, is that because the system... I mean, Lampard has tweaked the system to be a bit more defensive, but you know, it could also be the confidence of knowing you've got a reliable keeper. We see it at Liverpool. As soon as Alisson comes back in, the defence looks automatically more confident. So, so, so just let me understand if I've understood this. You're saying they, they're actually allowing more chances with Mendy in the side than they were before? No, no, much, much less. Ah, <laughs> Yeah. So so overall, so Mendy's come in and the defence has improved as well. Now is that right. you know, how much does one influence the other? Um you know, I think I think a, a good goalkeeper that gives the defence confidence is is as important as as anything. I mean Adrian you you'll probably remember you must have played with some keepers that were you just looked at them and were like, uh we're in trouble today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I called a couple of my my own keepers uh, the polo mint keepers before. Because uh, they like had they a hole had a big, in the middle. Big hole in the middle. I don't yeah. know, do polos is that still a thing? <laughs> Was this in the tunnel at half time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just <laughs> whispering it to teammates, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly Compare how it them happened. confectionery. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no. And but I was also lucky enough to play obviously with with, with old Spunky Seaman, and you you just felt like like you, you, the opponent would have to just drill it into the postage stamp to beat him. So yeah, or shoot from halfway. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> what I do think since Mendy's come in, you got to remember he's he's only played of late. I think Lampard has made a conscious decision to work on the defence, to to drill with them a little bit more, and to and to have this sort of clean sheet mentality. That clean sheet at Old Trafford was the first since they'd beaten Spurs back in December on the road in the Premier League. In, in all the matches between December and last weekend, they'd mm. conceded in every away game. So I think he just he's just decided this can't go on any longer. We, we need to we need to focus on this, and it's probably the sensible move because you look at the the, the forwards he's got at his disposal that they'll win him games. That Old Trafford clean sheet, by the way, that that one I think you can put down to Mendy because of that brilliant save he had right at the end against uh, well Marcus Rashford, MBE Burnley. Meantime, uh, to be the subject of one takeover bid would be flattering, but. There's actually two right now. You have ALK Capital, who've been the front runner for a couple of months uh, to acquire the Lancashire Club. But there's now a rival £200 million takeover bid fronted by Egyptian businessman Mohamed El Kashashi, sounds legit, and lawyer Chris Farnell. Uh, that's, that's exciting. Do you know any details, anybody, on these? I must admit I don't. Yes, so the, the counter bid looks quite... Alluring, shall we say? Mm. Um, Two hundred million seems about par the course for a Premier League club. So, uh, roughly speaking, top six clubs you need to have around about four hundred million in your back pocket to start the conversation. Uh, Newcastle, because it's a one-city football club, and the size of St James's Park is a bit closer to three hundred million. And then everyone else, you anywhere between two hundred million to two hundred fifty million. Okay, let's start doing business. Um, so at any point in time, you can roughly say there's about a, hand, a good handful of football clubs that are in uh, light conversation towards okay. takeovers. I'd say in this in the same way of no one's really up for sale, but much like your house or your car, if someone came up to you and made a pretty good bid, you might start a conversation. Mm. Um, so Burnley have been in a really odd holding pattern since the end of last season. Uh, and I think, well, this this might be the time for everyone to start you know, have a big breathe out because it it does look as if I don't want to say things have been stale, but Sean Dyche has been doing very very well for limited reward recently. Because mm. unless there's really a change of ownership, I don't I don't see how much further this Burnley project can go. Right. Uh, in the meantime, figures being released for the PPV matches so far uh, generally regarded as underwhelming. No match got more than a hundred thousand purchases. The average was about thirty nine thousand, which I reckon they'll probably be pretty happy with but three games had less than 10,000 and one in particular Burnley's clash surprisingly with West Brom had what have been described as exceptionally low figures which I the story is they're in the hundreds which you know for some people might be exceptionally low others might be quite happy with it Duncan that West Brom Burnley game was 5.30 on a Monday I think and I'm Mm. slightly I I know these fixes were probably arranged pre PPV coming in but I wonder if when the next set are, are done, they will move 
because you know it doesn't really make sense to have a box office game at five thirty on a Monday when you know if if Burnley and West Brom fans to use that game as an example. They're going to watch the game, but for them, surely three o'clock on a Saturday or you know twelve o'clock on a Sunday might be better than Monday right. evening when you're trying to make dinner or, or do whatever. Well, you're, you're going to love this weekend when at five thirty on Monday on PPV you can enjoy West Brom visiting Fulham. Ready meals all round. <laughs> Indeed so. Indeed so. Anyway, well there you go. That's uh, an exciting glimpse of life at Turf Moor. Mentioned uh, Man City and Liverpool also getting victories midweek. Quick. Quick look at what they're up to this weekend. Man City, who are 3-0 winners away in Marseille, looking pretty comfortable after a shaky week or two for Pep Guardiola's side. They will be in the lunchtime game at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United, their hosts. Last time Blades beat Man City, by the way, wobbly screen, flashback effect, heart music, was in the FA Cup almost 13 years ago when Joe Hart was in goal. And tragedy struck when City supporters, enjoying a day out in Yorkshire, saw their Man City balloons blow into Joe's penalty box, bamboozling the keeper and City's defenders when the Blades' Luton Shelton ran in with an actual ball. It hits two balloons. I'm sure it's put Michael Ball off. Just visually. Because it rocks two. First the blue one there, then a white one just behind it. And he just makes a complete and utter mess of it. Sadly, no balloons. I imagine there'll be no balloons allowed at this fixture on on Saturday. FBL Mario says, when will Man City be good? It's coming. Um, Fernand Torres, he looks mm. like a nice little player, isn't he? I think we say a lot about the money Manchester City spend, but they do. Pep Guardiola doesn't buy vanilla ice cream, shall we say. <laughs> I bet he does. No, I can't He looks see like the kind of man who would eat vanilla ice it's cream. It's a Gino Ginelli man, I reckon. Yeah, he strikes me as someone, if you ask him his favourite film, it definitely, well... I'd say if you ask me his favourite film, it'd definitely be one with subtitles, but he's Spanish, so... All films have subtitles, technically. Yeah. (laughs) So, Carl, your point is that he's actually quite a complex man with kind of a deep, I mean, a kind of rich cultural background to him, yeah? Yeah, I think Pep Guardiola's interests are niche and uh, alternative, shall we say. Mm. And what you saw in the last couple of games is sort of the problems when you get a bit too weird in your tactical style. But right. I think I think they'll they'll mostly come along quite quickly. My guess is that Pep's nicheness is restricted exclusively to the world of kind of tactical ephemera and that. And that in the rest of his life he's incredibly Spartan. And if he ever does concede himself a little bit of ice cream, perhaps when his body temperatures rise too high, it would be straight vanilla. I would agree, but he does wear cargo trousers on the dugout. Right. I don't know where that puts him, where in the Venn diagram he sits. What do cargo trousers say? I don't want to say perverse, but I would say odd. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I mean, you do have to wonder if, if as sometimes rumoured, Nagelsmann takes over from Guardiola. I mean, what a, oh, what a legacy of fashion that that club will have endured. It's quite <laughs> that jacket would make sense with cargo trousers. Yeah, actually, might. Yeah. What I'd love to see, or actually love not to see, is is Nagelsmann's jacket in a cardigan format. That would be quite spectacular, wouldn't it? In in the yeah. in the baggy pep cardi type way, it'd be truly horrific. Keep watching uh, RB Leipzig. You might well see that very garment because he. This was by no means an exception. What he what he wore on on uh, Wednesday evening. He's well. Didn't he get very cross with German TV afterwards when they asked? He him about said, it? "Stop talking about what I wear." Hmm. Yeah, which you know. He, I mean, he's got a part to play in that as well. I think he's <laughs> shifting the conversation away from. But anyway, um, Sheffield United haven't won a Premier League game in nine matches. And of course, they're down uh, very much the wrong end of the table, currently sitting just above Fulham. All right. Speaking of down the wrong end of the table, Man City, <laughs> they're 13th. Uh, they've only scored three goals in their last three matches in the Premier League. And uh, yes, got some catching up to do. Now, it's Halloween this weekend. Will City try and survive the attack of the Blades? For Liverpool, will it be a hammer horror with the team called the Hammers from West Ham on Halloween? We'll talk about that next. Listeners, we're excited to tell you all about our new partnership with Packed Coffee. Packed source the best coffee from around the world and deliver it right to your door with free next day delivery via one of their flexible plans which you can pause, cancel or change at any time. 
Packs Coffee is 100% speciality grade, freshly roasted and ground just moments before it's shipped. There are over 15 types of coffee to choose from and no matter which variety you choose, you can be safe in the knowledge that Pack buys direct from farmers, ensuring that they earn between 25 and 125% above normal fair trade rates. You can choose beans or pods, ground or whole bean, depending on how you brew, and go on, have a sniff of that bourbon cream espresso from Brazil and Peru, or get a taste of this Salomo from Ethiopia. Mmm, definitely hints of black cherry. Because you listen to the Totally Football shows, we're going to give you a discount code for you to get your first bag from just £1.95. Just head to packedcoffee.com, that's P-A-C-T-C-O-F-F-E.com, create your flexible coffee plan, enter the code TOTALLYFOOTBALL at checkout and your letterbox-friendly packed coffee will be with you in no time. So that's packedcoffee.com and TOTALLYFOOTBALL at the checkout. Now bear in mind that code's only valid for new customers creating a new plan, so get on it. Packed coffee, the coffee you want when you want it. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Liverpool are facing West Ham this Saturday at ooh, 17.30. Crikey. 5.30, uh, listener. Uh, Tuesday night, uh, they were at Anfield against the metrics-minded Danish minnows Midtjylland. They made a slightly heavy going of this game, but they did come away with a 2-0 win, but at a price. Uh, Fabinho, the man who, of course, had dropped back to cover for the very injured Virgil van Dijk, now going out himself. Now, they've had a scan on his hamstring tear and apparently it's only grade one or two so he might be back after the international break in a week or two in the meantime who's going to cover for the man who was covering for van dyke well there's a youngster reese williams who is impressed in the league cup games i think he's probably the next next in line there's another guy i think his name's nathaniel phillips who'd been on loan in german football last season that's back there now so he's got a couple of youthful options at his disposal which you know it, it could open the door for someone to come through look you know Trent Alexander-Arnold the opposition for example <laughs> yeah, it could it could it could but you never know how good a kid is until you give them a chance and it, and I think give them a chance in the Premier League where they're surrounded by all the good players and I think that, that that's that's where you should really judge these young players um Really, so so yeah. Let's let, let's let's see what happens. I think with this match, a lot will depend on whether Antonio passes mm. a fitness test or not. I think I think if he if he's absent for West Ham, it, it swings swings the sort of uh, dynamic of the game massively in in Liverpool's favour. But but if it's Antonio up against a Reese Williams, for example, then providing West Ham can get the ball into Antonio often enough, mm-hmm. that that could get messy because he's. He's unplayable at the minute. This is a West Ham team that in the last four games have beaten Leicester and Wolves and drawn with Spurs and Man City. David Moyes, their manager, who for so many years faced Liverpool from across Stanley Park, never won at Anfield in 15 previous league visits. Could this be his time? Well, I think it's time to give David Moyes some some big love. You know, he often has been a a slight figure of, of fun over the last couple of years, you know, going to West Ham, going back to West Ham. But, you know, this season, West Ham are facing 3.3 shots on target per game, which is their best ever rate in any season in, in the Premier League. And that, you know, is testament to the work that he's done. He's made them a very obdurate, hard team to break down, and, and we've seen that. And he's, they've also got a spirit now that we saw um, away at Spurs to come back from 3-0 down. So, you know, Liverpool can equal their all-time record unbeaten home run in the league if they if they avoid defeat in this game. But I actually... You know, the, as we all know, the last manager to win at Anfield in the league was uh, was Big Sam. Um, and I think there is a chance, a small but definite chance, that David Moyes could be the next one. Yeah, look, I'm glad you said that, Duncan, because I've had a David Moyes. I've said he's passed it, that, he's, that, that he's, he can no longer really cut it. Because I, th- I felt like caution had got to him, that, that the setbacks he'd had in his managerial career on his CV had sort of... Just, just knocked his confidence too much, and his teams were no longer producing the sort of aggression and spirit that that were synonymous at Everton when that team were were so good. So, 
but he's he, he somehow got it back and and he's got it back by making some tough calls basically getting rid of the flair flair players guys like Felipe Anderson obviously Lanzini had his moment the other day but he's no no longer a regular he's got hard working industrious wide men that are great on the counter he's he's got Antonio up top ahead of Haller who the club paid you know huge money for um and and yeah he's he's found a lovely balance and and even Masuaku Masuaku is a player that that just didn't look good enough for the Premier League a couple of years ago. Suddenly he's flying with with Aaron Cresswell on his inside in this sort of back five. It's um, yeah, he does deserve credit, and um, they do have a chance. Is he going to get a win? Do you think? No, I still think Liverpool will win this game. I really? do. Yeah, I still yeah. think I still think they will, but um, but it could be tight. Okay, all right. What else is coming up this weekend? Well, Friday the round kicks off with Wolves against Crystal Palace. Uh, while on Sunday, you've got Everton, who are now level on points with Liverpool at the top of the table, visiting Newcastle. Villa, who are in third place, hosting Hazen Huddle's hot, hot Southampton. And the also up-and-coming Tottenham, welcoming Brighton to North London. All of the top nine in the table, as you may have spotted, separated by just three points. Carlos Vega would like to know, looking at the current league standings, who do you think is going to jump up most positions or down between now and the end of the season. Who is most out of place when you look at the table? Quick pause while everyone looks at the table. <laughs> Man, Man United are down in 15th. You know, people are talking up Spurs' chances of a late title push. Man United, in which case, surely are in that conversation. That would be a big jump, 15 places. Man City are down there too in 13th. Conversely, up the top end of the table, who do you think is going to plummet furthest between now and the end of the season? Would Aston Villa be among your answers? Currently third. I can see some drop from Aston Villa, but not a dramatic one. I can see him quite capably finishing top 13th. Um, they're going to play Southampton this weekend, mm. which is going to be an interesting one. I watched Southampton do the double against them last season, and uh, Aston Villa looked very poor in those two games, very lightweight. And Jack Grealish looked more preoccupied with winning free kicks than winning the game in both games. But they're playing this 4-3-3, and Dean Smith is... I didn't know what Aston Villa were trying to do last season. And now Dean Smith seems to have a plan in place and seems to want to do that over and over and over again. Uh, and I think when managers do that, they essentially turn Premier League football games into a coin toss. So I'm going to expect Villa to win half their games and lose half their games and not get nearly enough draws. OK, but that would be a pretty good recipe for staying in the Premier League, which is, I think, how most people figured their ambitions lay at the start of this campaign. Anybody else going up or down meteorically? Uh, I would say Palace in eighth could drop quite a bit further than that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they've done what they sort of have done quite a lot in recent seasons, which is get a few points on the board early on and then allow them to weather a difficult winter. So, yeah, possibly there. I mean, obviously United City are going to jump up quite a bit, Arsenal. But, I mean, you know, this is the first season where everyone's lost at least one of their first six games since 1967-68. Everyone remembers those stories of how Liverpool in the early 80s were one season they were like 12th at Christmas and still won the title. You know, th- this recent thing where teams win their opening six games and just maraud their way to the title and get 100 points is really unusual. And, you know, no team is really kind of dominating. Um, you know, every team has got flaws this season, so it should yeah. be good. Absolutely, including the one on top of the pile, James Everton. We, we saw those flaws exposed, didn't we, by, by Southampton? Last weekend, I'm pretty sure Everton won't finish top, so so I'd expect a drop. From How them. far? I, I, I think they'll do. I don't think they'll finish top six. I think they'll be just just shy of it. I really do. But um, they've clearly improved. But but I still look at them at the back, particularly with the keeper and that back four, and and see see big vulnerabilities. So. So, yeah, I, I, I see them as being 7th or 8th, if, if I'm being honest. Really? The, a back four that'll be without Luca Dean uh, this weekend, although he has had his ban reduced to just one game. Everton already without the suspended Richarlison, whose industry and energy and kind of maraudingness was, was missed last weekend. Uh, they are away at Newcastle, as we mentioned, who are still conceding record numbers, almost record numbers of shots and not having very many. So we'll see how that one goes. That should be an Everton win. Um, Everton missed Richarlison because it basically asked Dominic Calvert-Lewin to do more ball progression rather than just do his one-touch finishing. But Newcastle are bad in a way <laughs> that is getting boring to repeat. 
they should be so much more fun when you look at that squad and you look at those midfielders and you look at how much potential is there. Uh, but I, I see this being quite a dull one-goal victory for Everton. All right. And what about Spurs-Brighton and this story that beginning to pick up a little bit of momentum, this kind of lockdown parlour game of why Spurs might be actually title contenders this time around. Could it be? What do you think, Adrian? Mm, I, I sincerely hope not. Um, but but no, I mean, they're, they're very impressive at the moment. No doubt about it. I still feel that at centre-back, they're not really strong enough. But no, it's it, it's hard to, to find too much fault with their, their form. So far this season, can Son and Kane maintain this this mm. high level of form over an entire season? I'm not not sure about that. We know that Kane has a history of, of picking up injuries. How will they respond to, to that kind of setback? But no, very very impressive so far. They certainly look top four material, but I just don't think that um, they've, they're strong enough without the ball just yet to to challenge. But, but I see this being a good game. I could actually see Brighton nicking something uh, at the weekend. Brighton have been pretty unlucky so far. They've had a lot of good attacking play that's mm. gone un- unrewarded. And I, I, I see quite an entertaining one um, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I can see both teams scoring. Um, maybe, a, you know, a two-all draw or Spurs just shading it. But, but what I like about Brighton is that there's no inferiority complex at all when it comes to playing the big boys, Graham Potter has shown that over and over again. He'll go for it. He'll 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 try and cause teams problems. And I, I think they'll, I think they can provide some nervy moments for Spurs. Well, we talked earlier about PPDA, you know, the pressing. Mm. So Brighton, Brighton are only second for defensive action. That's well, that's very good, James. Yeah, um, Brighton is second behind Leeds. So, like Adrian said, they um, you know they don't sit back. They they take the opposition, and yeah, they have been incredibly unlucky this season. If it's numbers you're after, Duncan, you can't say fairer than Kane and Son, who are on track to be not just the greatest goal partnership in the history of the Premier League, but far and away the greatest goal partnership. Yeah, they've now got they've combined for 29 goals in the Premier League. The record is Drogba and Lampard with 36. So at current rates, they should be ahead of them by early December, I would think. 30, 31% of Harry Kane's passes to Son this season have been assists is reasonable. Harry Kane, it feels like he's he's found some mystical powers this season. Because mm. it's not just his intuitiveness around the box that's just freakily good. He's also making clearances off the line for fun, isn't he? Like the other day at Burnley. Like he peeled off towards his own goal line from the corner. Mm. Like so early that he just knew that the ball was going to be headed towards towards the empty corner. I just he, He's operating on a different... Different plane to anyone else at the moment. Well, actually, if you think yeah. about it, he did his hamstring really badly on January the 1st, right? Yeah. That was pretty much when the coronavirus came. He Maybe yeah. he went off to a parallel universe and, and got a lot of <laughs> incredible skills and has come back from, from that. Yeah, it's a theory. No, I, I, think, I think the big thing with Kane was he just finally got a rest. He was knackered. He went into the World Cup pretty much knackered, was largely smoke and or a bit mirrors for the majority of that 2019-2020 season until... A really bad hamstring injury, which I think I said some things now in retrospect that I should probably eat my own hat about Harry Kane. Uh, and now after the first proper decent rest in a while, he's playing in a way that's quite similar to the way Mourinho set up his early Real Madrid teams. So really, really uh, entrenched defensive work, really, really stressing the importance of the attacking transition and very much you get the ball up the pitch vertically. And in Son and Kane, you've got two very two-footed strikers of the ball so therefore you can have loads of uh, goal scoring opportunities uh, that's the other thing I mean it's, it's when you have that magical chemistry with with another player and, and we talked about it being a great partnership I mentioned in the past Kane and Son it sounds like a Victorian parenting handbook <laughs> and it's just as likely to see you getting a beating at home um, and that could also be did we did we Brian. enjoy Son on Monday night when he scored the goal and then he looked and asked uh, Harry Kane, did you assist that? And it looked really delighted when he had it. You know that it's been a long time since Tottenham have seemingly had that much team spirit, and particularly a Mourinho team as well. You know, Mar- mm. Kane's kind of combined. He's turned himself into Drogba, Lampard, and John Terry, and he's basically operating as a, a one-man Mourinho machine, and it's impressive. Brilliant. All right, that game coming up late Sunday, but you have to pay money to see it. I mean, you have to pay money to see everything but you have to pay extra money for that. Uh, We also have two games on 
Monday then, Leeds against Leicester at 8 o'clock. And before that, in that prestigious 5.30 tea time slot, Fulham against West Brom. We'll touch on those in uh, Monday morning's show, when we'll be rounding up, of course, all the uh, weekend's games very shortly. We'll hear from Alvaro Romeo on Team Spirit at bottom of their Champions League group, Real Madrid, and the fallout at uh, Barcelona post-Bartomeu. But before that, let's get another little window into the world of Lee Price. Hello, listener. After two weeks of multiple health screens and asking everyone to quarantine, I surprised my closest inner circle with a trip to a private island where we could pretend things were normal. Alas, my inner circle amounts to just about you and I. Orcs. Oh, and as for private island, that's actually just the baby's room where I record these award-winning monologues. Ideally when he's not asleep, but not always. Like a tone-deaf Kardashian holiday, the Premier League has an all-star lineup for us this weekend. And Fulham versus West Brom. Boom, boom. Liverpool have an injury crisis, while West Ham must be having an existential crisis. Are they actually good now? But the odds suggest a one-sided affair. The Reds are 1-3 to win that game. West Ham are a lengthy 13-2. Speaking of teams who are fought with crap but have been confusingly good recently, and it's probably the derby of the genre on Sunday, as Manchester United host Arsenal. We make United the even-money favourites, which means if you bet £1 on them, you win £1 in profit, while an Arsenal victory is priced at 5-2. And it'd be remiss not to mention the clash of the totally legit owners. Burnley host Chelsea, with the host set to be taken over by a bloke who has just had a ban from owning a club in England overturned, while the visitor's owner can't even step foot in the country. Sounds totally fine. Anyway, all the best, TTFM. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. The terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Now, it's been an interesting time for the big two in Spain. Uh, plenty of questions regarding current state of things with Barcelona and Real Madrid and the future as well. Uh, to get some answers, let's now dial up our pal Alvaro Romeo. Splendid to have you on board. Uh, first of all, Barcelona. Much-needed win on Wednesday in a week dominated by the departure of their president and the entire board. Uh, what's the impact of that? Does Messi run things anyway? And, and what does it mean for Ronald Koeman? Uh, that's a very good question. I think that the players and, and Koeman are separate entities at the minute because Koeman is just arrived. Uh, of course, the win against Juventus was very important for Barcelona's uh, I would say that self-confidence and also for the image of the team after losing against Bayern 8-2. The president Bartomeu is gone because he resigned. And let's see if the team can stay a bit oblivious to all this. Uh, I know that recently some players have been given contract extensions in exchange for the upcoming salary reductions. So salaries will be reduced and uh, I think that the new uh, board uh, will not be able to up the salaries of the players, even keep them. And uh, Kuman's situation is different. I mean, we know that one of the candidates, probably the favourite to win the elections, Victor Font, uh, is going to bring Xavi, irrespective of uh, Kuman's results. Uh, we don't know yet if the rest of the candidates, uh, some of them are yet to reveal themselves, uh, will have uh, Kuman in mind. Uh, and let's remember that to be a candidate, you need uh, still 2,257 signatures and a bank guarantee of 125 million. So it's not so easy to be a candidate uh, for Barcelona's uh, uh, biggest chair. Mm. In the meantime, the interim chairman has been saying that he's going to be holding elections or they're going to try and arrange elections as soon as possible and that the club's finances are in a pretty parlous state. Is this why Bartomeu, as his kind of parting gift, dropped this bombshell about signing Barcelona up for the European Super League, which he kind of framed as a masterstroke? But what's the reaction been to it from fans and media in Barcelona? Well, the reaction has been very similar to what it had been it would have been anywhere, uh, in England or in Germany. Uh, the Superliga is something that doesn't go down well among supporters. It's something that uh, Javier Tebas, for instance, uh, tweeted about the other day, saying that basically what Guartomeo was saying uh, was, was showing no knowledge of uh, how the football industry is structured. Uh, you know that Bartomeu is a very generous man. He gave us another headline by saying that Barcelona uh, wasn't registered in the Super League. And uh, to be honest with you, 
I don't know what, but something will have to uh, amend, correct and improve Barcelona's finances. The Super League could be a thing, even though I'm totally against it. I think that also uh, it's very likely that the new president, whoever he is, will try to find the sponsor um, to name uh, Barcelona's ground, which mm -hmm. is something that Bartomeu was already trying to do. So they will try to maximize that avenue. And also the new president will have to solve Lionel Messi's equation. I mean, are they going to try Messi to stay? Are they going to give him, you know, a departure ticket to Lionel Messi? Because at the end of the day, he's making 50 million after tax, which means that the club is paying 100 million before tax just to keep Lionel Messi. So I think that financially, the club is uncomfortable now as the, as the interim president has said today. And uh, those are the things that Barcelona could do, actually. Try to maximize, probably, the match revenue. Uh, try to find uh, a naming uh, a sponsor or naming rights for their ground and also address Lionel Messi's case. Real Madrid, meanwhile, Alvaro, who did win the Clásico, but major problems for them in Europe after losing to Shakhtar week one. They almost lost away at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. They're now lying bottom of the group with Inter and Gladbach and Shakhtar ahead of them. And also this uh, very damaging a viral video going around of Benzema and Mendy discussing how they should never pass to their teammate Vinicius. How much trouble are they in and, and what does that say about morale amongst the team? Well, I think that Real Madrid is uh, a club that uh, doesn't have any excess anywhere, uh, especially in the scoring department. I believe that they've been lacking from goals for a long time and I find it quite miraculous that they managed to snatch a point from Gladbach considering how the game started. I don't think that none of the clubs in this group will win the championship, but I do believe that this is the toughest group uh, you will find in the championship because all the teams are quite, are quite leveled and Real Madrid now is going to fight for the qualification with Inter. I want to see the next game, how it goes, if any of the clubs go directly to win the game or if they will be speculative thinking about uh, maybe getting a point or getting four points out of six uh, in this reverse fixture and then try to win the next of the, the rest of the games but yeah that's going to be quite tricky for Real Madrid and not qualifying for the next round is going to be absolutely disastrous for the club and when it comes to that thing you are saying about Vinicius and Benzema well we do know that Benzema during few games has tried to be the tutor of Vinicius during the game, telling him what to do, where to go, how to run, when to pass the ball. We have seen that on the pitch. And that conversation leaked. And it doesn't leave Vinicius in a good place. It doesn't leave Benzema in a good place either. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, th this is something they will have to address probably because Vinicius is not the kind of player who oozes confidence. And uh, listening to things like this from a teammate may make him even more dubious in front of goal. Absolutely. It must have been an interesting uh, first morning back at training uh, after that one went viral around the world. Alvaro, fascinating stuff as ever. Look forward to hearing from you again on Tuesday. For now, many thanks indeed. Looking forward to it. Take care. Alvaro Romeo will be joining us again in Tuesday's European-flavoured Totally Football Show. That brings to the end of this edition of our podcast, though, many, many thanks to Adrian, to Duncan and to Carl for being with us today. I'm waving and, and you don't know because it's a podcast. Sorry. All right. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Nice one. Look forward to seeing you all soon. Listener, thank you for being with us. We'll catch up with you Monday morning. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.